This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Episode 54 of the Equalizer podcast, and believe it or not, it is already now officially week one of the NWSL season. Things kick off on Saturday, another 24-game schedule, so we will go a little bit longer today, and we will preview the 2019 NWSL season. My name is Dan Lawletta. We're going to have Chelsea, Claire, and John on all during this podcast, which will go uh, podcast record, four segments, Equalizer podcast record anyway. And I'm going to start by chatting it up with Chelsea, who I know has been an NWSL aficionado since the beginning. Um, What are you feeling like with the season less than a week away? I, You know, I I think I touched on this last week. It doesn't really feel quite like it's it's ready yet i keep having to look at my calendar and remind myself oh it's, it's actually here and i think part of that is, is because it's being a little bit overshadowed by the world cup and i think a big part of it is just that the off season was was very quiet you had a lot you know three coaches hired but beyond that you know a few trades a few signings but a lot of consistency which i think is is good for some and and not so good for others so i'm i'm still waiting for that real you know excitement to kick in i also really 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 miss the uh, the hype videos that lifetime was doing i i i heard a song the other day and i was like this is a fantastic song <laughs> to like get me worked up for something but no, no visuals to go with it yeah and we're gonna get to that how there's no tv deal there's no communications director etc but you know if you talk to people around the league and you get them when they're quote-unquote off the record and more truthful, they'll all say, well, I wouldn't be surprised if the Kurds do exactly what they did last year and run away with the league. If you talk to people who were not the Courage, they'll say, yeah, things are very different. But I don't look at any of these rosters and see that anybody did anything that is going to really challenge North Carolina. That's not to say that they'll win 17 of their 24 games and lose only once and obliterate everything in their path. But did the league change enough that we're going to have a lot of interesting movement up and down the table, specifically to North Carolina, who ran away with the league really two years in a row? You know, I don't know that they'll run away with it again, um, but I think they're going to be very dominant, more like they were, I would say, in um, in 2017 versus 2018. So maybe they won't basically you know, win or draw every single game with one fluke exception, but I think they're going to consistently be at the top. Um, the one, the one caveat to that, I think 
is who on their roster goes to the World Cup because that, I think, if both McCall Zerboni and Sam Mewis go, that that is a struggle in their midfield, especially when you consider behind them that both the Abbeys in central defense will be gone. I think if anyone can make up for that, it's Paul Riley, and I think he demonstrated that dinner there in the ICC last year. But I just I think that is the four of those combined is is a big blow. And if you look at the Riley era, which has been three seasons, four trophies, you know, two league titles, two shields, he is yet to have one game where he hasn't had Dal Kemper or Urseg in central defense. And he'll have a bunch of games this time around where he won't have either one of them. Right. And I think, I think Urseg in particular, um, I just, I think that, that her steadiness and her leadership um, is probably really understated. I mean, she, She's defender of the year for a reason, right? Like she's she's just a model of consistency. And I think, you know, we've seen Abby Dahlkemper struggle at the international level. And I think, you know, even though she's with Becky Sauerbrunn, who is is just as good, if not better, than Abby Ersig, but I think this that that partnership between the two is essential. So that's and then considering as of right now, it should be Caitlin Rowland behind them, who has a lot of experience with them, but she just got injured, and the timing of her injury looks like it's going to bump up right as to when Stephanie LeBay is going to leave for the World Cup. So that that's a question. Um, so I, I think overall the roster has a couple of, of questions that makes me think maybe they won't be quite as consistent as last year, but I don't see any team that's just done something to put them over the top to where they're going to challenge North Carolina for that title. It's going to be a struggle. Well, and a lot of things have to go right to go 17-1-6. Right. I mean, first of all, you have to have the motivation and they clearly drew motivation off of not only the score of the end of 2017 when they lost to Portland, but the way that match went down and they did stay remarkably healthy, even though Zerboni got hurt late in the season. But they obviously figured out how to play without her. They got Mewis worked in and they didn't really need to push her because they were playing well. And Williams was great. and McDonald was great. You figure some of those things, players leaving for the World Cup aside, you already mentioned the rolling thing, but at some point, that's something's got to give there, right? Where somebody's going to have a bad season or a bad month, or they're just going to get to the 70th minute and not dig their heels in like they did every single time last year. Yeah, because it did seem like sometimes they, they left it late. And for me, I think if anything's going to, you know, injuries aside, if, if, if there's going to be one thing that could go wrong that could derail them, it's it's the finishing issues, you know. We we there was a big thing we talked about last year was just they generated so many chances, um, but sometimes their finishing was, was frankly was kind of abysmal as far as the the efficiency and how many of the chances they actually converted to good good you know shots on goal. Um, so if that comes up to bite them in the he- you know in, in the neck at the wrong time, that could be an issue. And also, I mean. <laughs> You know, we, we joke a lot about the underdog mentality that Paul Riley likes to put up, but I don't think there is any way he can sell that now. I don't see how that. So they're going to have to find some other motivation. Maybe and maybe it's the fact that everybody's gunning for them. He admitted it, right after the in the press conference after they won it all. But I'm sure that he's already. I'm sure he spent most of the offseason working up ways that that could go against. I remember a few weeks ago. I don't remember who was on with me, but. We ended the podcast by saying, make a crazy prediction about 2019. And I said the courage would be under 500 after four games. If that happens, and I'm not saying, well, I already said it will, but that would be more than enough for Paul Riley to 
start pounding the uh, drums of, you know, everyone counted us out and we were one, two and one or whatever it was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he's he's got to be a master at motivation in, in that aspect. Well, he really is, because the best thing about that team last year was not how they played or who defended or who scored is that they were just so dedicated to being great every single time they took the field. I've not seen much like that in my time watching sports, any sport. Well, I think I think the, the 2018 or this group, this North Carolina Courage is going to go down in history as one of the best examples of what happens when a coach gets not only gets the exact players to feel his the way he likes to play to fill his system, but also when the players are absolutely keyed in and bought into what their coach is saying. I mean, that that, is, that team has so much chemistry and, and so much joy in playing for each other, with each other, for Riley. Um, I just they just so rarely seem to miss a beat. Yeah, and you hear that a lot too, right? A team will win two or three games in a row, and you'll hear, well, everyone's bought into what we're doing here, but it really is the case for the Courage. So if if not them, then who? Like the Red Stars, I've had people tell me they have the best roster in the league. Maybe, maybe not. The Thorns, I feel like, are going to have some holes, and they're not going to be. I feel like the Thorns should be similar to last year, where they wind up good, but it might take a while to get there. I don't know that Seattle's better. Yeah, I feel like if you take the four playoff teams from from last year and you look at them on on day one of this individual season, I think they're all still going to be very good to start out. Um, I I have big questions about Portland and Seattle both um, losing key players. I I don't know that they have the depth to make up for it. Um, I think if Utah can maintain their defensive consistency – and again, losing key players on on central defense at that, but turn around and generate more chances on the other end of the field. I think they could they could make a charge for it. I think Houston is a great big question mark. Uh, some people think that they they could make a run for it. Some people don't. I, I just I never really know what to expect from Houston, so I'm not really sure what to put on that now. But I think if I look at the I think Chicago to me has a lot of pieces. Um, and if anyone has motivation to kind of get over the hump, it's got to be Chicago right now. Those those semifinal losses are, are glaring them in the face. And it's kind of like a, a flip side. Like you look at one side, it's like, yeah, you're, you're consistently making the playoffs. That's great. The other side is you're consistently not advancing in the playoffs at some point. When does that become not good enough? And I think to me, I feel like they're at that point where they just they want it so bad. Yeah, I was thinking about the Red Stars earlier, because if you look at their four losses you can really single all of them out for like special kinds of hellish endings because first year they were at home and maybe they weren't good enough that year and and i don't know how they wound up ahead of kansas city but they were at home and not only did they lose but they played horrible it was an awful game then they go to washington it's horrible weather but you've got press with an open goal staring at a trip to the final hits the crossbar they wind up losing in extra time then the following year yeah, they weren't the better team, but they were hanging on to get to extra time. And then the ball takes a bad bounce off Ertz's leg, one nothing. They lose in the 90th minute. And then last year, I just thought they thought they had the team that could do it and that they played pretty well in that semi and they didn't have to go to North Carolina, but it just wasn't going to happen for them because the Courage were just too good. But I, you can really look at all four of those Red Stars losses 
And I think, you know, I could see picking any one of the four and saying that was the worst one. Yeah, 2017 to me probably I feel like is is the worst. That was just a lot of they were they were gritty. They dug in. It was just a lot of some bad luck combined. But I I wonder and I wondered this last year, too, if they had drawn any if they had drawn Portland or Seattle and not North Carolina, would they have advanced to the final? Because I, I think North Carolina was just so, so unstoppable at that point. Well, and Seattle was banged up pretty bad. Remember Rapino broke oh, his yeah. ribs toward the end of the season and Jody Taylor wasn't 100%. I don't know that Fishlock was ever healthy last season. And it kind of yeah. showed in those last two games when they had the regular season and the playoff game, they had the lead in both against Portland and they couldn't sustain it. So, yeah, maybe maybe they would have. Maybe Chicago would have. The Chicago-Seattle games last year were poor. As I, weren't they all three draws, like two zero zeros and a 1-1? One, one, um, and all pretty boring? It sounds about right. But, I, yeah, I, I think, I don't know what it is about Chicago, that what they need to unlock. Um, you know, I, I don't know that they've, they've added good players. Um, looks like Chicago beat Seattle one zero after two zero zero draws. Oh, that's right. There was only one. There was only one goal. <laughs> Claire coming to the rescue. <laughs> yeah, but one goal in three games is is not the greatest. Um, so I don't I don't know that they've changed. I mean, they have added some pieces. I don't know if they changed that much from last year, but I don't know uh, that they have the killer instinct to win the shield or to challenge. Seriously for the shield. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd come in the shield. I'm thinking more make it to the playoffs, push for that for that championship. The shield is the shield is difficult to win. You have to have some luck. You have to have some other teams take some bad runs to get there. Now you said Portland, Seattle, not deep enough in your opinion to overcome player losses. Seattle won't have Fishlock until Leon's season ends, and then you have to wonder you know, about the wear and tear on her. They'll lose Taylor. They'll lose um, maybe Allie Long. Who am I for? Uh, Catley. Portland, obviously. Sinclair. You know, Sinclair hasn't missed a start for the Thorns since the uh, Olympics ended in 2016 and didn't miss a minute all of last season. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and that, that's that's huge for them. And that obviously won't happen. This year, but they brought back um, Bringe, uh, Bringe's daughter, Dagny. yeah, and um, you know I don't know. Portland has been a was a bit of an anomaly to me last season. Can you know Haran won't be there for a lot, but can Haran have that same kind of impact that she did? Because Haran pulled their fat out of the fire on multiple occasions last season. Can she do that again? Uh, and will or can they be better and not need her to? I don't know if they'll need her to. I think she. I think she can be that consistent for them. I think she can be that consistently good. Um, where will she be? You know, MVP like I'm saving my team level. And that depends on the rest of the thorns, doesn't it? It depends on if they need her to do that. She also. And, go ahead. I was just gonna say, if I'm um, Mark Parsons, I'm I'm coaching up the rest of my team to not need someone just to pull up and save us like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and he, you know, in he's real good at that. I think his teams tend to get better as the season goes on. Uh we're not going to turn this into a national team discussion, but I thought Haran was kind of shaky the other night. Are you comfortable just chalking that up to she didn't play, she believes everybody else did and she was a half step behind? Um yeah, you know, I think one one game back after being, you know, out for injury for a little while, being out a little bit step with the rest of the team, I'm not I'm not too concerned about. It. I didn't think she was 
she was particularly bad. And I, I do think that, that her presence kind of freed up Roosevelt a little bit um, as opposed to, it was an improvement from the Pew Lavelle midfield at any rate. <laughs> it was. And that was, so, yeah. And that was Thursday's game. By the time you're hearing this, the Sunday games already happened, but we haven't seen it yet. So who knows what happened with Haran in the Sunday night game against Belgium. All right, Chelsea, we'll get back with you in a little bit, get your predictions and key players and all that. Um, so thank you for chatting with me in segment number one. We'll be back with Claire Watkins and get her take on maybe some of the teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. Can they get up into the mix in 2019? This is episode 54 of the Equalizer podcast. Segment two, episode 54 of the Equalizer podcast. We are previewing the NWSL season, which, yep, you know it, begins this coming weekend. Kind of snuck up on us, as it probably did on you. Not the most uh, buzzworthy offseason. I'm Dan Lalletta. We had Chelsea in segment one. We'll get back with her for predictions on the season at the end of the show. But uh, Claire Watkins is coming on and... Uh, before we get to Claire, I would like to remind you that you can rate and review this podcast. If you love it and want more people to discover good women's soccer content, it's a huge help to have your positive reviews about what we're doing. Rating and reviewing the podcast will help make it easier for others to discover it on your favorite listening platform. So if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the Equalizer podcast. And Claire, you're welcome to start with a negative review of segment one. Go ahead and scold us. <laughs> it's not Seattle, guys. Not it's Seattle. It's just Rain FC. Rain FC, they're playing in Tacoma. I imagine that will not be the last time we make that mistake, and I imagine we won't be the only ones to make that mistake. But, yes, Rain FC, no more Seattle Rain FC, and they're playing in Tacoma. Speaking of Rain FC, um, are they going to make the playoffs? I know you kind of wanted to hit on maybe some of the good teams that are still going to be good, but maybe won't be able to make it through that extended break without their top players. Right. I think maybe my this might be a, a drum that I'm beating for a, a while this season, but I this is going to be a weird year where I'm not sure how much it's going to matter how good the team is full strength until, you know, late July. Um, and, or, you know, even later, depending on what sort of a tour the, the national team goes on. But so I, I think it's a difficult discussion because we can talk about which teams we think with their starting, you know, prime starting 11s are the best ones. But it will it matter if they can't get the job done during the World Cup break? Um, I would say, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, I think... Um, it kind of looks like Chicago's losing fewer people than expected, so they might be better set up to really kind of, you know, grab a lot of points during that time period. Uh, Rain FC is interesting. I think that they're deeper maybe than people realize, and I think that Vlako Andonovsky is going to be ready for, going to have that squad ready to go, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure what we're going to see from them. I think probably Portland is the one, is a team that, that um, has the biggest drop down when they don't have their starters. But who can say what everything's going to look like when we make it to late May, early June? 
Uh, let me ask you this. Is the Zerboni decision, meaning whether Jill Ellis takes her to France, could that be the key decision to the entire season? Because I'm starting to think she's not going to France, and that's kind of huge if she's there I in agree. North Carolina. I, yeah, I think that's massive. Um, I mean, the thing with North Carolina, North Carolina is like Portland in that they're losing key people from every line. Um, obviously, like you said, they're going to be missing both of their center backs, which Abby Urseg deciding to go uh, with New Zealand is a big blow to the courage. I think it would be a very different season if they were going to have her for the whole year. Um, yeah, I think they need, they still need leadership in the midfield. And I know, I know Paul Riley told, told John and in, in our, in our North Carolina, you know, uh, um, our North Carolina preview that, you know, Meredith Speck is ready to step in for Sam Mewis and it's going to be the same, but I, I just, I question that a little bit. Um, and, uh, but they're also, and they're also losing, they're losing Dabinia. They're probably losing Jessica McDonald. Like, I just think that they're going to have, they need one person. They just need one person to stay. And I think that that'll be a big difference. I will say this about Meredith Speck and I don't know too much about her, but she got into a lot of games last season, not a lot of minutes, I don't know how many games it was, but I feel like she played more than half the games, at least a few minutes here and there. And you almost have to wonder if on some level, and maybe we overstate the legend of Paul Riley because of how much success he's had, but was he already gearing her up for a bigger role going forward, just getting her some minutes on the field and getting her feet wet that way? She's, I, and she's been there a few years, too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I don't. I don't think it's a random move that uh, Darian Jenkins went to the rain in the offseason because I think, obviously, she didn't see a lot of playing time last year. Um, but, no, it sounds like from everything we're hearing out of North Carolina mm -hmm. that they've been preparing for this year, you know, for a long time. So, um, they'll be – I think the, the thing is, is I'm, I'm not anticipating North Carolina's backup players not to be geared in and ready to go. The question is just whether or not their ceiling is high enough to hold everything together. Yeah, and they're not going to be able to, you know, just pulverize teams. Like when Zerboni got hurt last year and they had one more regular season game and they came up against Houston and they beat them 5 nothing. And it was like, well, maybe they wouldn't have won that game if Zerboni wasn't there, but they kind of needed to figure out what they were going to look like without her. So right. they just kind of went that direction. So who, who gets in if these teams slip up? I think Houston only loses, you know, Campbell didn't even make it to the – uh, this trip. So I, I think she's pretty, I think she, there needs to be an injury for Campbell to make the world cup. So they don't lose really that many players. Um, I think it's just Rachel Daly and their Canadians. Yep. Um, right. And that's where you'd have to think, I mean, I, I don't have, I can't pretend to have any insight on James Clarkson's coaching style, but you would have to think that the idea would be kind of a smash and grab, wreck them, score a bunch of goals and take away points. And I think that that could really work when we get into the nitty gritty of midseason. Yeah. Um, Polkinghorn too. Is she in the mix for Australia? Absolutely. I think she's going to be, she's going to be an important part of Australia's defense though. We also saw some issues with that uh, for Australia on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. That's an international conversation though. That has less to do with the league. Well, I mean, but that is the thing with Houston actually talking about like Polkinghorn and, and her, being questionable in defense is that I don't know. I think that Houston's defense could be really poor, um, but we just don't know until we see it. So I think, uh, but also that won't matter 
when everyone's gone quite so much. So they are a team that I think could could definitely sneak in. Um, I think the Spirit are going to be better than they were last year, but I don't think that they're going to be... Um, I think that they still really, really need their uh, U.S. players to to mesh. And we don't know if Andy Sullivan's going, because if she's going to the World Cup, that's I think that's Washington's season right there. Really? I mean, I, I think that I, I don't think that I don't think Washington's probably going to be competing for a top four spot anyway. But I think that that'll make a big difference in just how they look, how they're set up. You know, I was just looking at their kind of season last year a little bit. And I mean, it it gets even worse when you go and try to relive it. They only scored. I don't know how many. They were terrible, right? They couldn't score. They didn't actually defend all that poorly, or at least in terms of the goals they gave up. I didn't think Sullivan was that good, though. Certainly, if she plays better, that could make them better. Their personnel wasn't that bad. I mean, I'm not saying they were a playoff team or should have been a playoff team, but to win two games, it's got to be the biggest underachieving side we've ever seen in women's pro soccer, based on the the roster. Sure, yeah. And to clarify, what I mean about Sullivan has less to do with what I think her personal upside is and has more to do with how I think they're going to try to use her. I think basically just from what I've heard from... Uh, some of the the beat reporters watching preseason games is that everything's really flowing through Sullivan right now, and she's the captain. They've been building this leadership role for her. I think they want her to be that calming presence on the field for them because they're very very young. Um, and the weird thing about Washington too is you talk about the defense being pretty good, but they shipped out a lot of their defenders in that Big Sky Blue trade. So I don't know what their defense is really going to look like either. I think they're going to be relying on a lot of rookies which could either go well or not. I'm not entirely sure. Well, that, that's the thing about them. Is you look at their defense, Taylor Smith is gone and hurt. Didasco is gone. Estelle Johnson, who's got to be in the top five most underrated players in the league, she's gone. Whitney Church is gone. She was in camp with Houston a little bit, and I heard she did not look very good, so maybe that's not as that big of a loss, but they're basically going with draft picks, I guess. Mm-hmm. For their defenders, right. and you know Bledsoe's okay, but I don't know that Bledsoe is the keeper that you want to have behind an inexperienced backline when you're trying to build some momentum for your team. Right. I think hopefully my my hope for the Spirit this year is that they'll be a much more entertaining side to watch. I think if they are aggressive going forward, I think Ashley Hatch can still definitely um, have a good season if she gets some support. Uh, and I think that if they can kind of figure out that midfield, which does have quite a bit of you know talent, um, we could at least see a more entertaining style of soccer. I'm not necessarily convinced they're going to win a ton more games, but I do think that the scoring issue is going to improve. I think it will be big for them if they can get an early couple of goals and a win. They open at home against Sky Blue. Nice 3 nothing. 3-1 win, I think, could clear out a lot of the bad energy around that team right yeah, off the bat. Absolutely. You know, you lose one nothing to Sky Blue, and then the schedule obviously gets harder from there, and then all of a sudden, I mean, they had, they're on, I think, a 14-game unbeaten uh, winless streak. They haven't won since sometime in May. So that, that that's a long time not to win a game. And I still think Pew, when she's healthy and if the team is playing well, can win you games by herself. In this league. Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't think she got hurt Memorial Day weekend. I don't think she was ever healthy again. Um, I know she scored a couple goals for the U.S. on Thursday. I didn't think that necessarily indicated that she was quote-unquote back, though it's nicer when you score than when you don't. Utah is an interesting team to me. But 
What I find interesting, here's what I think is interesting about Utah. What if Press goes to the World Cup and Rodriguez and Stengel tear it up? Then what do you do when Press comes back? Yeah, I think that I I can't pretend to have any idea of what Utah's going to look like. Um, I they're another team that, and this is this is my fault. Just maybe not kind of diving into it more, but it seems like not a lot of moves in the off season. Um, having Kristen Press for a, you know theoretically you know a whole season, um, despite you know her her being out for for the World Cup will be important for them. I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, how Rodriguez's second season back uh, develops if she, you know, I don't think I have a great sense of, of where she's at right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, Utah's a real question mark. I mean, obviously, I think there are very high expectations because of the institutional support there, but I, I don't think that their style of soccer was particularly exciting last year, but also, obviously, they needed a little bit more time to gel, so I guess we'll just have to see. It's notable that Rodriguez scored in the last three games of the season. So yeah. I think she had five goals and three of them were right at the end. And it did. It took her a little time to get going, which is to be expected. She basically missed two years, one to have a baby and then one to recover from an ACL tear. So that's a long time to be out. There's no yeah. guarantees when you leave with either one of those, but to do it one after the other. It would be very is, cool if she had a big season this year. I would love to see that. Yeah, it would be great. And, you know, I, I have to think that when a player like her, the fact that she's playing and she got deallocated, so that's a pay cut for her. You have to think the fact that she's playing means that she really wants it, right? Because you're taking a pay cut. She's got two kids. There's no reason for her to play unless she really is motivated to be better, right? Right. I mean, and also, she's she's not that. I mean, if you look at kind of the, the lifespan of those national caliber players, she's not that old. And I think that she no. definitely can still do some some serious damage. So I think that, um, yeah, she could have a big year if she gets some midfield support, which I think was a big issue for Utah last year. Yeah, well, the big their big addition was Vero Bouquet. So right. if she can play at the level that she has the other two times she's been to the U.S., then that makes them a heck of a lot better. Now, defensively, they're obviously going to lose Sauerbrunn and other parts of their back line to the World Cup, and Sauerbrunn is probably still the best defender in the league, maybe you could argue that Urseg's a little bit better or was last season, but losing Sauerbrunn's going to be tough. They've also got an interesting keeper situation because Barnhart kind of took that job from Abby Smith last year. Yeah, started when Smith got hurt. Right. But, I mean, Smith's on the radar, if not the depth chart here. So it would be interesting to see uh, how Harvey decides to do that. And it's one of those things where you always say, well, you know, so-and-so can get through a year, then there'll be expansion and they can be a starter. But – Right. We don't know if expansion is coming or not. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe for me, the thing I'm most interested in with Utah is I, I feel like I, I we know that Kristen Press is going to be very good, not only because she's a great player, but she's been in very good form this year. Um, I'm interested to see what the narrative here is with Harvey running this team. I mean, last year it was a new squad, a whole new situation came in last minute. That's a bit of a flyer. I want to see if Harvey really kind of sinks or swims this year and if she's able to um, pull together something cohesive from this roster. Uh, obviously, with someone like Vlatko, he came into the rain and immediately you could just tell that you know he was in control and he was trying to implement something. I want to see what Harvey can do. I, she's a very, very well-respected coach, and I, I, uh, I want to see what she can do with the Utah experiment. I'm with you on that 100%. The team we haven't mentioned is Sky Blue. Um, I spoke to some Sky Blue people last week, and of course they were very positive about 
how things are going to go this year. Denise Reddy basically told me the players who are here are the players who want to be here. That's obviously important, but are they good enough? And I just can't see them being competitive this year. I, I, that, yeah, I don't know. Um, obviously we've seen some off the field improvements, which is good. Uh, we don't know what their injury situation is still. I mean, we know the serious ones, but there's been no news about some of the tweaks, um, because that'll be very important because obviously their, their depth talk about low ceilings. I'm just not sure that the roster is going to be good enough, especially if they have their, some of their important pieces out, um, yeah, I I don't know about Sky Blue. I again, you always hope that the, it'll be better than last year. I don't know how it could get worse. Uh, <laughs> they could lose every game. Yeah, I guess. they could lose every game. I guess, but um, yeah, maybe just math indicates that it'll be a, a more productive year. But then you also look at them against every other team in the league, and who are they going to win against? Unless yeah, no, that's the truth. You know, that's the problem is, and this has to do with the expansion thing where we're still in a contracted league and a lot of these teams are really, really talented and deeper than they've ever been before just due to numbers. So I don't know. I think it could be tough going for them. I thought their starting 11 could have been decent, but the Mandy Freeman injury yeah. is devastating to that defense. Because I don't know who they have back there. We talked about this last week, I think. Didasco and Johnson. Right. And who else? Even Tiernan had played outside back. And mm-hmm. she's out for the season now right. also. And and Tiernan wasn't in my 11, but they do need some players to come off the bench and whatnot. And Carly Lloyd won't be there. To me, the key for them is can they, can they take advantage of Dorsey and Kawasumi? Both really effective wide players. Right. If they're out there together, you've got to kind of pick a side. Can they switch the point well enough? And can McCaskill get back to her early season form? Right. I think, and not her late season flail all over the place form. Right. I think all of that, I think the psychology of it is can they string together some sort of defensive cohesion to give themselves a shot to outscore somebody? All right, Claire, we'll get back to you at the end and we'll get your predictions and a couple of other points from you. Thanks for hanging with me for this segment. I'll be back with John D. Halloran. This has been segment two, episode 54 of the Equalizer podcast.